Christian, would you get me a glass of water, please? Thank you. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. This section of Scripture really goes all the way through verse 23, but we're going to break it up into at least three sermons. So, As you turn there, just pause a moment and listen to me. Christianity is established on one great theological truth. That truth is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, this is not the sort of truth that you go, okay, got that, let's move on. It is a truth that you, every day of your lives, are trying to live in. In today's passage, we will begin by the words, Having received Jesus Christ, so now walk in Him. Now this hope of glory, we've talked about this quite a bit, but I keep wanting to stress it to you. The hope of glory is a full experience of God such that you know Him as you are fully known. It is also living in full submission to the one who is now our covenant Lord. It is an unending delight in his presence together with all of the rest of the saints. Thank you. There is no way that you could even imagine the wonder of this hope that we trust in. And being born again by the Spirit of God, we now have a heart, a new heart, that hungers to know and experience God's fullness. That's, that's like the very basic of being a Christian, is that you have a new heart that says, I want that glory. And I would say that hungering and thirsting after God in this glory is really a mark of being saved. And if you have no hungering and thirsting after that, you're probably not even saved. Let me read you just a couple Old Testament psalms. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. It is also that the promise of Jesus Christ is a promise of this spiritual life. John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living 
water. Having said all of that, it may seem rather strange that I would caution you to be wary of overly craving an experience with God. It is possible to crave an experience with God such that you are no longer truly craving God, but rather the experience itself. And if you go down the road of pursuing experience, you may very well find yourself departing from Christ without even realizing it. You see, at the heart of the Colossian heresy was a desire to find a greater experience of God. But what Paul values and God values even more than your present experience of God, is our firm faith in Jesus Christ alone. The, the verse immediately before our text, which I'm almost ready to read, Paul says this, He is rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He doesn't say, I'm rejoicing to see how great experiences you're having of Christ. He says, I'm rejoicing to see your firmness of your faith in Christ. So with that in mind, let's read the text for today. Colossians 2, 6 through 10. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. How did you receive Jesus Christ? Well, you believed in Him. You believed that He died to pay the penalty for your sin. You believed that He died to put your sin to death. You believe that having had your sins cleansed and forgiven, you could now be in a right relationship with God. And so you trusted in Him. Jesus, save me. This is precisely the way that you must live every day of your life. Continuing to believe in who Jesus is and what he has done for you and his dwelling in you. You see, Jesus taught his disciples to walk by faith, not by sight. And I will tell you that walking by faith includes 
your fe- or walking by sight includes your feelings. The writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, the conviction of things not felt. At least not yet fully experienced. We want to experience the fullness of our relationship with God. But while you live in this world, you must continue to live by faith. You must continue to believe that Jesus is the one in whom all the treasures of knowledge is found. You must continue believing that Jesus is the one in whom and through whom and to whom all things are. You must continue believing that Christ is the one who has reconciled you to God and will give you complete and full victory over all sin. You are called every day to live out believing that you are now in Christ. And I would tell you, I do not yet experience the fullness of what it means to be in Christ. Now, is it true that God has given me glimpses of sweetness in His presence? Yes. Many more than I deserve. But the bulk of my life has been lived in hope of the glory not yet experiencing the glory. And my future hope is not grounded in my current experience. It is rooted in Christ and Christ alone. Every day, we are called to believe that He is the creator and sustainer of all things. We are called to believe that the incarnation was not about a sweet baby in a manger, but it was the first step of Christ coming to take residence in my heart. Believing that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was sufficient to pay for all of my sin. And trusting that in his own ascension to the throne of heaven, he has now raised me up there with him. So have you received Jesus Christ? Well, in the same way that you received him, continue walking in him. In verse 7, Paul says that you are rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What does it mean to be rooted in Christ? Well, it means that all of God's promised blessing flows to you from Christ alone. There is no other source of blessing. Every hope of the Christian comes from one fountain, and that's Christ. That's why we sing the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We are not only rooted in Christ, we are built up in Him. I like the image that we are a building of which 
we are being constructed one brick at a time. I don't know if bricks were in his mindset back then, but in mine it is. But every brick is made by Christ alone. There's not one brick that comes from anywhere but Christ. All of them comes from him. Paul wants the Colossians to understand that there is no growth, no ongoing construction apart from being in him. Everything, your union with Christ is everything. This is the faith in which they were established. This is the faith in which they need continual strengthening. All of your hopes are found in Christ alone. Your obedience is not the fountain of blessing. Oh, if I can obey a little bit better, then somehow the blessing will be here. Your obedience, rightly understood, is the fruit of blessing. Obedience is important. Don't get me wrong. But it's not the fountain of blessing. God does not bless you because you obey. He blesses you because Christ obeyed. And you trust in Christ. See, what are we saying if my imperfect obedience could win me blessing? No, only the perfect obedience of Christ wins me blessing. This is true the last day of your life, just as much as it was true on the first day of your life. You see, when the Colossians first believed, it resulted in thanksgiving. You know that what that feels like, the first day you believe in Christ and you say, yes, I'm forgiven, I'm free, I'm going to heaven, and you're thankful. It's almost reflexive when you first believe. It's almost like effortless to have a thankful heart. But as time goes by, it takes effort to remain thankful, to keep believing, to keep trusting that God really is everything that he says he is for you. It's hard to be thankful when you feel when you're not feeling closeness with God, when you feel like he's abandoned you, that he's silent, your experience is not there, you have to continue to believe and trust and then be thankful that he still is there. It's hard to be thankful when you're continuing to struggle with stubborn sin. Why has the presence of God not defeated all of my sin yet? And yet, the promise is still there. All of the blessing is yours in Christ. And so what happens to us, rather than continuing to walk in the same way that we began, we begin to add things to Christ. Do this activity, do this practice here, engage in this, try this, trust in some other thing. And then somehow, you'll experience greater blessing. Paul says that is a dead-end road. In Galatians 3, you can turn there if you want, Galatians 3, verses 2 and 3, just a couple verses, chapters over. 
Paul's exhorting the Galatians, somewhat different issues, but some of them the same. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, why, why did God give you his Spirit? Because you jumped through some hoop? Because you did something of a human work in some way? Or because you heard the gospel, you believed it, and God gave you his Spirit? He says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And by flesh, there could be anything, and you'll see this as we get into Colossians, the various ways in which they tried to add to Christ. You see, your union with Jesus Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is not something that is true only when you feel it's true. Paul says it is true, period, through faith in Christ. And you must choose to walk in that reality every day. You see, if your union with Christ was primarily a sensual experience, you would not need to walk by faith, would you? If every day of your life you just felt this euphoric joy of being filled with the presence of God, which is what will happen when you're in glory, you wouldn't be walking by faith anymore. You'd be walking by the experience of your joy. And again, I'm not saying that your relationship with God should never result in sensual experiences of joy. Of course, it should. But it is not primarily a sensual experience. Sometimes people leave the faith because they're expecting their Christianity to be more sensual. I don't mean like sexual, I just mean sensual. You feel it. And if you're not feeling it, then it feels empty. And I'm telling you, nothing could be further from the truth. You see, what is empty, and this is what is empty, every other means by which you crave for spiritual experience, they're all empty. I wish I could just remember this. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul says you Christians are in danger of being taken captive. That implies there's someone wanting to take you captive. He doesn't say who that is, but I'm telling you it could be the person next to you. It could be someone... A friendship at work. Obviously, it could be the spiritual realm, Satan trying to deceive you. But don't forget that there, your old nature, not the one that's born again in Christ, but your old nature wants to be deceived. To be taken captive is to come under the spell of that which is false. It's to believe lies. Paul labels these philosophy and empty deceit. He is not against all philosophy. That's not his point. He is against the hollow and deceptive philosophy that leads people away from a firm faith in Christ. 
Anything that promises to you a fuller spiritual experience or greater victory that is not in faith in Christ alone is empty. It's a lie. So many people have walked away from traditional Christianity. Oh, I want a, I want a worship experience that gives me more spiritual euphoria. I want, I want to go off and be alone in the woods. I want this, anything that can give me spiritual experience. Empty. The truth is found in Christ alone. It is given to us through what we call the means of grace. Preaching the word, praying, sacraments. I'll talk in a minute about what it means to be a means of grace. But they're very ordinary. The Reformers used to say that the sacraments in the New Testament, outwardly speaking, are the simplest most plain, most ordinary things that you could do. You, if you really wanted to have more pizzazz, you'd go back to the Old Testament and get some of their, their uh, ceremonies because they're much more glorious than in the New Testament. Paul says that these false ideas were coming from at least two sources, human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world. It's going to take a little bit of time to walk through these with you, but I think it's worth it because there's a lot of confusion on these. The first is human tradition. Now, tradition just very basically is something that's passed down from one generation to another. Like, we, we did this. We have a tradition at Faith Church of having a Reformation party. It's a human tradition. It's a good tradition. Paul can also speak of the gospel in terms of tradition. 1 Corinthians 11, 2. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. He actually looks at his teaching as being passed down like a tradition. 2 Thessalonians. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. I would tell you that in some sense, Paul considers the writings of the New Testament the tradition of the apostles. But Paul can also speak negatively of tradition. And when he speaks negatively of tradition, it is any tradition that is outside of faith in Christ. Paul says that in his passage here. He says, anything that is not according to Christ. And we don't know, at least at this point, we're going to get some glimpses later on in, in Colossians, but we don't know exactly the, um, the traditions that he's talking about, but it's very likely Jewish traditions that people were going back to. Now, you have to understand those Jewish traditions were good in the Old Testament. They actually pointed people to Jesus. But now that Jesus has come, you have the substance. Why would you go back to the, one, the things that were foreshadows pointing you to Christ? And that's what they were doing. Keep this holy day. Eat only these ceremonially clean foods. 
do these things and you will prepare yourself for a more full spiritual experience. And I will tell you, once you say, if I do, put, in the, put whatever it in, some human activity, if I do this, I will have a deeper experience of God. You're in danger of establishing another source other than Christ. The reformers had this idea called means of grace. And they talked about the word and prayer and the sacraments, but they love this term means of grace, and I think it's good. It's, it's you're, These things, the word of God, prayer, sacraments, they are not the source of grace. They are the conduit of grace. And I like the idea of electrical wire. The wire can't do anything to help you. It's just the, the conduit through which the grace comes to you. So if you start treating your prayer life like the harder I pray, somehow I'm going to get greater blessing, you've added to Christ. You've turned prayer, as good as it is, into something that is a source of grace rather than a means of grace. You could turn preaching into that. Oh, if I, that's what's going to give me the grace. No. Preaching points you to Christ. It is your faith in Christ that is the source of blessing. Only and always Him. <clears throat> Many things that could be happening according to Christ, according to the teaching of Christ, and according to the reconciliation that we have in Christ. But one thing I think that is central in Paul's mind, and it will segue us to the elements, elemental spirits of the world, is that the reality that Jesus Christ is right now ruling over the new creation. He is authority over it. It belongs to him. I think this is central to him in this. You see, when Christ rose up from the grave, he was the firstborn over the new creation. Just think about this for a minute. Jesus had a physical body that was a part of the old creation, and that body went into the tomb, and then that same body was raised up out of the tomb, transformed into a complete new existence. He no longer is a part of the old creation. He's now part of the new creation. His body, his flesh, it was sown mortal, it was raised immortal. And he is reigning, just as he reigned over the old creation, he is now reigning over the new creation. When you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ, you are born into the new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so you exist between two worlds. You're part of the new creation, but you're still walking around in this old creation flesh. But I would tell you that your body, even though it's still connected to this world and it's still mucky and imperfect and dying, it even now is united to Jesus Christ and belongs to the new creation. Can you feel that? 
You can't feel it. But you can believe it. You will not fully experience God until that body has been transformed from mortal to immortal, and then you will experience the fullness of God. So when anybody tries to tell you that you do this, you do that, and you will have this great fullness of God, you just say, uh-uh, that's empty promise. Empty promise, I can't have that until I see him face to face. And the best that this world can do is give you a momentary, uh, maybe ecstasy or pleasure for a moment, and then it's empty. You, know, you might try to get it using drugs. That eh, doesn't give it to you, because it gives you a second, and then it gets less and less and less. You need more and more and more drugs. Any of these things takes you down a road that is not good. Paul says that any of these things are the elementary spirits of the world. The uh, elemental spirits of the world. The Greek is stoikeia. Stoikeia, it just means elementary. The word spirits is added. I think contextually it's, it's not a bad thing to add it. But I think literally it's just elementary things. Paul can use stoikeia to mean... The elements of the physical world. The Greeks talked about um, earth, water, fire, wind, those sorts of elemental things of this world. Peter seems to refer to this when he says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements, and it's the same stoicheia, will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Now, just to know, the Greeks took these four elements, and they saw them as the powers of this creation, and they began to put divine spirits behind them. So this is where you get this elemental spirits idea, that behind the physical powers were these spiritual beings that actually uh, controlled life. And here's a, a quote from this uh, Jewish book called Wisdom from the first century BC. They suppose that either fire or wind or swift air or the circle of the stars or turbulent water or luminaries of heaven were the gods that rule the world. But Paul can call elementary even the Old Testament. He does this in Galatians, and I won't go through all this in, in Galatians. He says, but in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So he's basically saying the observing of days, the keeping of the ceremonies, those are just elementary things you have, Christ. In Colossians 2.20, which is a little bit further on, if with Christ you died to the elementals of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? So this idea of elementals, in my, the easiest way I can wrap it all around, and you can work it out yourself, we can talk more about it, but the easiest way I can think of elementals 
anything that just belongs to this creation. You belong to the new creation. You are united to Christ. You have the most powerful being in the world in you. Don't go back to these simpleton things back here. Stick to Christ. Look at verses 9 and 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Notice the, both of those together. It's not just that the fullness of deity is in Christ, um, yeah, is in Christ in his body, but now you have been filled in him. And the, the, the tense of the text is a perfect tense, means that it is something that's already occurred with continuing effects. It's not you are being filled or you will be filled. You have been filled in him. You have Christ, you are full. And he's not talking about your experience. He's just saying, this is true of you. I think maybe the easiest way to think about this is from 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. And I don't know what I was thinking when I, I do know somewhat what I was thinking, but I actually had this um, reference inscribed on the inside of Robin's uh, wedding ring when we got married. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Spirit of God is the easiest way to think of you being full right now. You don't get a portion of the Spirit now and get more of the Spirit in heaven. You either have the Spirit or you don't have the Spirit. Okay, But your experience of the fullness of God is not yet, uh, not for this present time. So even your experience of the indwelling Holy Spirit is not everything. And that's what Paul says, that his spirit is given to our hearts as a guarantee, as a deposit for something that is coming later. The fullness is for later. You have the spirit in Christ, but the fullness is for later. And so even with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you still have to walk by faith. Paul finishes this verse by saying that Jesus right now is reigning over every rule and authority. And what that means are the spiritual forces that rule over this world, all of the demonic realm. He is over them. And in some way, those, those angelic forces will not exist, the, de- the de- rebellious ones, the demons, they will not exist in the new creation. They will be judged to hell just like uh, people who are apart from Christ. But, but, the, but he rules over both of them. New heavens, present existence, Jesus rules over every rule and authority. Well, you daily must fight against these forces of evil. But you have to remember that you don't even belong to their kingdom anymore. You're over here in a new new kingdom creation. You belong to Christ. And so you're daily fighting against spiritual forces of evil that technically are stronger than you, but you belong to Christ. 
And here, do you want to fight these spiritual forces with some other weapon other than Christ? Christ is the only one powerful enough to defeat them all. So don't be distracted. Don't be taken captive. Go into other things, other human things, other things of this world, promising to give you the victory. Only Christ will give you victory. So practically speaking, when you sin, look to Christ for forgiveness and cleansing. When you are weak, cry out to Christ for strength. Spend as much time as you can being thankful for Christ. Guard against the deceptions that give you promise you more here and now. They are empty. Fight against sin, but fight in Christ. And remember, remember that every advancement of your Christian life is given to you by grace. It is received by faith. You do not build upon it any other way. It's always from grace. As you have received Jesus Christ, in the same way, walk in Him. Amen.